Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the big show, the dry show. The largest and most critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our old today truck. Dry, dusty truck at the moment. Our dry, dry, dusty truck. And as we're looking around, we still see some green, but we're also starting to see the brown coming out. We're in a mini drought. Which is actually more of a dry spell than a drought, to be honest with you. We've had a lot, very limited rainfall this year. We had a snow in April. But it didn't account for much. April Fool's Day snow. No, it didn't account for much moisture, but it was like several inches. Uh, it's been a weird year, as usual. It's our always weird years. <laughs> Lately, yeah. Uh, we had a bitterly cold winter, which really helps on the mosquitoes in the summer. But uh, right now we're in a dry spell, and it's we're our corn crops getting hurt right now. We're going to need some more rain. We got one rain here not too long ago, and where we are, it's it's not everywhere in the Midwest. Just where we are, and then west of here, if you look at a, at a dryness map. And we did a uh, an article yesterday on spiced in an article on drought. And that we were ready for the drought. There were several things that we did, and she could touch on on two or three of those things in this podcast because this is kind of a companion piece to today's article and yesterday's. So uh, we could touch on what we did, but we can also talk about drought and some of our lessons that we've learned from previous droughts and some things that we've observed. So go right ahead. Well, one of the things I talked about in the first article was choosing some species that can tolerate drought in your garden so your food supply doesn't completely give up. Uh, for example, uh, this year I tried what I call the turnip experiment because I noticed what they, what they called the hunger winter uh, when the Germans basically took all the food from the people in Holland during World War II the other name for it is the turnip winter. And every time famines come up, you start hearing people talk about turnips. So I put some turnips in this year to see how they were for prep food. And they tolerated the drought a lot better than most of the other plants I have. They don't wilt when everybody else is starting to wilt. The roots keep growing. They're nice drought-tolerant plants. They're not the tastiest vegetable in the world, and I'm not going to grow huge quantities of them. But I'm going to keep the seeds on hand, because even in really bad weather and uh, bad spring, sometimes too cold, sometimes too hot, always too dry, still got enormous production out of them. So choosing some species that can tolerate drought so you have some food coming in no matter what the weather, that's valuable. As an aside, another part of the reason that they, they grew so many turnips in Holland during the occupation is... You know, if you have an apple tree, an army of soldiers can walk by and pick the apples. If you have tomato plants, they can pick the tomatoes. It's a lot of work to actually stop and dig up the turnips and the potatoes. They can force you to do it, but, you know, it's a lot more work. It's out of sight, out of mind on a lot of this stuff. And a lot of, a lot of these people were uh, mechanics. They were from the city. They didn't really realize what turnips even were. So those poor people in the lowlands, you know, turnips are what they had. They really did have a famine, too. I should point out 
that one does not have to dig turnips, Ken. One just pulls them out of the ground. Well, yes, but, you but, pull, but you they're not potatoes. above the ground, is what yeah. I'm saying. And you can leave them in there for a long period of time until they're you're like ready to pick them. They're in. below the ground, but they're, you know, you yeah. pull out an onion, but you can dig an onion, too. So They're out of sight, out of mind. That's right. That was my whole point. They're not above ground crops. The other uh, main thing with drought that I'm facing right now is water supplies are always limited in a drought. Uh, at home, in town... I can use tap water and, and water everything if I wanted to, although I don't care to do that. At the place, everything I water means hauling buckets of water up a hill from a pond. And when you've got an orchard, that gets to be work, I might point out. So you prioritize. It takes a lot less water to keep a perennial alive than it does to keep a perennial getting a good crop. So I'm not going to have a good raspberry crop this year because I chose to water them enough to keep the plants reasonably healthy, but not enough to provide a good berry crop. Right now, one of the things that we're heard, we heard on this year, certainly with the drought, is we're really reliant on our, our uh, rainwater collection. In fact, we're in the process of possibly even expanding that today by adding some more storage. Uh, you know, but it's not raining. You're not getting rainwater connection. Now we can use quote unquote. There's a rural term. Here comes a rural term. We can use city water. <laughs> um, that means the stuff that comes out of the tap. That means stuff that comes out of a tap. If you're a, if you're a rural, you know what city water is. We can use city water, but you have to pay for city water. And frankly, city water isn't the best stuff to put on plants. It has additives and stuff like that you really don't want on plants. It's not going to hurt them as much as not having any water, but it's not the best to water with. You're much better off watering out of uh, a rain barrel or pond or something like that. Also, in real droughts, you have water restrictions on using city water for those things. Right. Yeah, we're going to come back to that later because uh, we we have lived through. Well, I've got a I've got several drought stories. So uh, go right ahead. Let's talk about the uh, other things that we uh, recommended doing to ameliorate or at least moderate the drought. Things like mulching. Mulch your garden. Yeah. To reduce the water evaporation from it. So it requires a heck of a lot less water to keep the uh, plants healthy. It's hard to understate how, how much water this stays. It saves a ton of water putting this, this layer of mulch on it. Yeah. A lot of people don't like to do it because it's ugly. It makes your garden look ugly. I don't now, find it's ugly at all if it's right. if you use straw. But once your garden's up, no big deal. Yeah, and the Maybe. green spreads out anyway. But it really, you also have to weed a lot less. And you get less diseases, because especially of tomatoes, because when water drops land on the soil in a hard rain, they splash up dirt onto the underside of the leaves. And that's how a lot of plants get infected with fungal spores that have been dormant in the soil for a while. So mulching actually reduces the disease burden on some species of plants and makes it much nicer when you're picking greens because you don't have nearly as much grit on the greens from splash-ups. What else have you got? Why don't you go with one? Okay, well, I'm going to talk about uh, some strange and unusual things that people don't think about uh, when it comes to drought, but I want you to start thinking about it because it, it, even in a 
even in a normal, non-stuff-hits-the-fan year, it will affect you. For example, right now, if we, if we have a widespread drought in the Midwest, the corn crop doesn't do well. The corn crop, you know, pe- most people don't even really think much about corn. They think about corn as like, oh, that's the stuff we buy in the can, or that's the stuff we buy on the ear, or maybe go to the farmer's market and buy some from the farmers. No, that's sweet corn, and that's only a very, very small percentage of what is grown in America. Most corn in America, by far the vast majority, I'm talking, I don't know the exact percentage, but well over 90% I is livestock. I think it's over 97. Is, is livestock feed. Well, over 97 is field corn. Right, but yeah. it's, it's livestock feed. Yeah. The vast majority. Now, around here, they also make ethanol out of the stuff, That's but that's a, not a huge percentage. You know, livestock feed is what the corn is. So if you have a drought year and if you have a lot less corn, well, we all know the market is when you have less of something, the price goes up. So the price of corn, which is at pretty good already, uh will probably be going up a little this year. Now, fortunately for the whole country, this isn't a huge widespread across the entire Corn Belt drought. But there will be those droughts again, so we might as well think about them. Yeah, and so basically what happens is the feed price goes up, which means you're going to pay a lot more for meat. So this will hit you in the pocketbook. It's not a big deal if you think about it ahead of time and plan for it. Because you're like, okay, maybe right now I want to go ahead and buy that side of beef and put it in the freezer right now. Because you know there's probably a good chance that it's going to go up. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the corn right now. We're driving through past cornfields. And this is Missouri. We have a good year of corns, 110 to 120 bushels. For a, a good year. Not a great year, but a good year. This is stressed corn. Yeah, this stuff is not gonna not gonna make that already. It's it's already cooked. I mean, this stuff will maybe make ninety if it, if it goes well from here on out. And the beans are looking even worse now in Iowa, in southern Iowa. The land that they have, and their southern Iowa is in the same drought pattern as we are. The land that we they have, you are a rotten terrible, horrible farmer if you can't get, in a normal year, 225 bushels per acre. Because the land is just that good. It is where the tall corn grows. <laughs> Iowa and, and Illinois um, in the main areas are... You can't... If you can't grow 225 bushel corn in the Illinois River bottom or up in southern Iowa, you're just not a very good farmer. So when you get droughts in that part of the country and across Nebraska, it you see just, the biggest... It gets horrific on the pricing. Okay, there's that. Now, what else does this affect? Meat and dairy dairy and eggs. Yes, dairy and eggs. Okay. Um, When we have drought, like we're having here, we are a big hay producing area right here. We export hay from North Missouri. And we also feed a lot of hay. That's what a lot of our cattle and livestock eat. Okay? But right now, our our first cutting was very bad. We're getting about half the amount of grass, and it's not nearly as good a quality, high-nutrition grass as what usually would come into a um, hay cutting. I mean, you see, I'm looking at the bales, and see how this, we're driving past a, a hay field right now. See how spaced out those bales are? 
Well, Those... they probably don't, but I do. Maybe no, we. Well, I wasn't I guess talking you... to them, dear. <laughs> you are the person looking out the window. Are you trying I to make my life difficult today? <laughs> but yeah, they're very spread out. Much more so than usual. What that means is there's a good chance that we are going to be importing hay this winter or this fall or even the summer. And one of the problems that we have with imported hay is we have a very limited amount of places we can import it from, basically the places that are getting rain. Well, right now, the places that are getting rain are south of us. So, okay, fine, bring up hay from Arkansas. Bring up hay from northern Texas. But there's a problem with that hay. You bring that hay up, and those hay fields are infested with fire ants. And that's a problem. We don't have fire ants here in Missouri. Now, fortunately, we're not going to have a fire ant problem here in Missouri. The winters winter. get too cold. It kills them. But you have cattle eating hay with fire ants in them. That's not good. You know? So this is the kind so of thing. Tell them when what you, it means from a prepping point of view, please. When you move stuff from one part of the country to another, and that's what we do a lot of in America, we move stuff from one part of the country to another, you're also moving whatever's hitchhiking on them. This is why we say never move firewood, because especially around here, we want to keep the emerald... Uh, ash borers out, out of our state for as long as possible because emerald ash borers are an invasive, terribly destructive to the ash trees. There's deer all over there. Yeah. Um, so, well, the fire ants, yeah, they we don't want Arkansas fire ants. Just an example. Okay. You were saying? I was inviting you to tell them what why the fire ant thing is a prepping problem oh well I, this is just a general problem of you're always better off as a community prepping and not prepping buying local producing local okay self-sufficiency is all, this is we're all about self-sufficiency and we want to keep self-sufficiency in our region in our area and when you're importing uh, critical products from outside that you could well be growing yourself. This is a problem. We don't want to be importing hay. We don't. We want to be, you know, hay self-sufficient. We want to be corn self-sufficient. We want to export our crops to those people who live in the cities who can't grow their stuff. Most particularly if we have a grid failure or a major transportation disruption, or transportation just gets really more expensive. These uh, economic patterns that rely on lots of imports are going to break down and cause trouble for people who are relying on those patterns. If you have local sources of production, then you're going to suffer a lot less when transportation becomes more difficult or more expensive in a crisis. Right. Now, let's, say, let's go ahead and say the stuff hits the fan. I don't think this will happen. It's not, it's, I'm guessing it won't happen. But that's a guess. But let's say the uh, Tiawaki hits. The end of the world we, as we know it hits for some reason. You know, we're going it, to, it'll be a come-as-you-are 
come where you are crisis. And I want to be in an area that's as self-sufficient as possible. I want to be in an area that has big, tall elevators full of grain already. I don't, you know, this is what I want. This is my goal is to not be in an area that turns into an instant war zone. Fruit orchards all over the place. Fruit orchards all over the place. People who know how to grow food and have seed and have the ability to grow food. And who have been growing food. So this is this is the whole thing. Um, I, I, I know a lot of people are shelter in place, stay in the suburbs kind of people. And I got to be honest with you. For some kinds of crises, I just don't see how that's going to work. For long-term crises for long, in For long-term crisis, I just don't see how that's going to work. Um, that's your deal. That's that's your thing. If you, you live like you want to live, but I personally don't see, and, and I don't plan my prepping around what those problems are. I'm staying away from those problems. That's part of my prepping. But that's also part of the drought. We come back to the drought is, yes, this really does affect us this year. Now, where this really will hurt, and Spice wrote about this in her article yesterday, yeah, it hurts now that we're going to have to spend extra money on water. But let's say that water isn't running. Our water comes 65 miles away, and I'm not in favor of this. I did not support shutting down our local water plant. I did not support that at all. But they did it. Our water comes from 65 miles away. All right? We have an earthquake. There's an exceedingly good chance our water will be disrupted for a very long time. Fact of life. We're prepped for it. We understand this. And this isn't even a national grid-down disaster, but it's one, It's a fact of life. But in that sort of situation, you know, we'll be depending on our garden to get a lot of our food, and then our garden is struggling because of no water. So this is why we're expanding our rain barrel system. This is why we're buying a big tank for the back of the pickup truck so that we can pump water out of a lake if we have to. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Um, let's talk about what it's like to live without water for a while. It's miserable. It's miserable. <laughs> well, we she has has different experiences than I do. First of all, I lived on an island in the early 70s. I, I grew up on Pacific Islands. I'm a, I was a military brat. And one of the places that we had lived was a certain little garden spot called Okinawa. Now, a lot of military people liked to be stationed at Okinawa. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why they really like to be stationed at Okinawa, other than to say <laughs> they don't apply to a 12-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. This is nothing that would be of interest to a 12-year-old. Certainly not a 12-year-old in the culture of the 1970s. Today, who knows? But we didn't have water. The reservoirs ran dry. And when I mean we didn't have water, we didn't have water. The drinking water we had, we had to get on base, and it was shipped in from Japan literally shipped in from Japan. 
There was no large desalinization plant. Heck, this island hadn't even been completely cleaned up from World War II. There were still bombs laying all over, or laying in, you know, there were major parts of the island that were still off limits because they hadn't been uh, demilitarized. You know, this is back in the early 70s. This is only 15, 20 years after the end of the war. So, we got water turned on. They would collect up enough to give us water every two weeks. We got water turned on for two hours. And we were able to fill up, like, the bathtub and fill up every non-potable water container that we owned. But these pipes, they were old. They were rusty, and the water coming out of there was bright orange. But this is what we had to wash our clothes in. And by the time we left Oki, every piece of clothing we owned was colored bright orange. Because that's what you had to wash in. Whereas we had a well, and when the well pump broke, and we couldn't afford to get it fixed for a number of weeks at one point, uh, my mom was stuck carrying buckets of water up the hill from the spring, which was technically not potable water either, but given the state of the aquifer at that time, we said heck with it and drank it, and it was fine. But if there is a, what's one of the Achilles heels of large cities, particularly large cities in the desert, Places like Las Vegas just creep me the heck out as a prepper. Because that many people so far from a natural water supply, I would expect if government services get disrupted, there's going to be very serious problems very quickly in having enough water to sustain the population, frankly. With so us, that should be a part of your planning. Right. With us in Oki... We literally went, my dad got several big containers, and we literally went to the ocean and filled up the containers and brought them back in the car, and that's what we flushed with. You know, we would flush with a, a bucket of ocean water. And I'm going to be a little, little uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a little adult here and just say, we followed the motto, if it's yellow, it's mellow. If it's brown, it goes down. <laughs> and you just put a little ammonia in it to to take away the odor, and there you go. That's what we did. That's how we lived. Now, during our married life, we also lived in a community during the late 80s that made its own water out of two city lakes, two very not very big city lakes, but we had a several-year drought where it was just an absolute drought. And we basically drained the lakes. Now, most of the water in a lake, you have to, this, this doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it does. The vast majority of the water that is in a lake is, is in the top foot. Because it has the greatest area, guys. Right. And lakes, you know, they V down. And the steeper and deeper the lake, the more the percentage of the water is in the top. 
you know, because if it's got a big fat wide bottom, there's more water, you know, further down. But if it's a shape, a very steep lake and a deep V, you know, most of that water is right there at the top. So as the water level drops in a normal everyday lake, you're using up a lot of the water that's in it. Well, our lake dropped and dropped and dropped, and then it just started dropping really fast. Yeah. Um, and most of the water that was that went away was not from consumption. It was from evaporation because it was very dry. It was very windy. Very hot. It was very hot. It was very sunny. And there was just a ton of evaporation that summer. So our water, not only did we have to cut back on the use of our water, but it just absolutely evaporated. And we got to the point, we didn't quite run out of water like they're looking at in South Africa. We didn't quite run out of water. But we got to the point where we have a, there's a massive rock quarry. And the bottom part of the rock quarry has several springs in it. And they literally pump the rock quarry dry you know, they run the pump every day because they have to they want the bottom of the pit the bottom of the pit probably has oh about 80 100 feet of water in it they just leave it with the water in it but you know the, that quarry will fill into a lake fairly quickly if it's not used so this rock quarry is some mile south of town something like that yeah it's a mile south of the lake they were pumping it back into yeah well actually a couple miles so they, they literally ran a pipe from the rock quarry up over a hill down to an area where they could pump it into the lake. And they added, oh, I forget how many hundreds of thousands of gallons of water, maybe millions of gallons of water, I mean, just a ton of water. They were literally filling the lake out of the rock quarry, and that gave us a month worth of water. Just doing that. It's a month we needed to. Because as as the drought worsened and worsened and worsened, the guy who was in charge of the rock quarry, who came up with this idea, got to thinking, you know, we can quarry this other wall and just let that water fill and not pump because we may need that water. It's actually very smart. Very, very smart. And very community-minded, I might add. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I don't know that that was a very good, um, okay, this is kind of hard to describe because of the way it was done. It wasn't actually pumped into the lake. It was pumped into the place that the pumps for the lake are located. The water inlet at the lake. Yeah, it was pumped into the water inlet. They didn't want to actually pump the water into the lake. Because then it would evaporate Well, And it would kill a bunch of wildlife because this is rock quarry. Yeah. Water, not hard as heck. Lake water, so and yeah. But anyway, that was that's. These are the kind of things that you go through. You know, this is the kind of stuff they're trying to figure out in South Africa. My prepping point is when all this is going on to be prepared. You don't want any any of this. You want to have the water in your house already. And during these crises, no, you were not watering your garden either. No, 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 no. They would. Uh, they would uh, arrest and well, they'd arrest you and find you. We managed to keep ours alive by we have a cistern on property. Yes, 
And I, at the at the time, it's since failed because it's ancient. Yeah, we got at, at the time the pump the, the hand pump still worked. Yeah, we and I kept fixed. stuff alive by hand pumping it. The big D says he can fix that. Cool. So yeah, we need to get that fixed. Uh, we can still pump out of the cistern using electric pump. I mean, it's it's right there. It's full of water. Um, I wouldn't drink it. Ew. I don't, who, yeah. who, who only knows what's been in oh, there? If we got desperate, we could get out now. I know of a method that would do it. Right now. But it would be a pain in the tail. This, the cistern we're talking about is um, like they used to have for old houses. They would drain the uh, uh, drain pipes into the cistern, and then you'd use the cistern to to... You know, for your kitchen water and stuff like that. That's how they did it. So, we have one of those, and uh, we thought about filling it in at one point in time, because they can be kind of dangerous. But ours has a really good cap on it, so we didn't. Okay. Anything else you want to add? That'll do it. All right. It's supposed to rain this week. We're hoping. <laughs> We're hoping. Our whole point, my, the takeaway I want you to think, think about drought now. Whether it's, you may, I mean, you may be flooded, but think about drought now. Because droughts are coming no matter where you are. And water services can fail in big cities. Water services can fail. And for a long time. You I've run lived into trouble it. in a hurry without good water. Right. So, there we are. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.